Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. This is the third in a series that I've been doing, a little mini-series on women in revenue. And if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, definitely go back. The first one was with Sherry Johnston. She is one of the co-founders of womeninrevenue.org. I also did the second one with Tracy Eiler, who is the chief marketing officer at Inside View and also one of the founding members. And then today on the program, I am joined by Julie Stead. And Julie is also a co-founder of Women in Revenue. And she, by day, is the VP of Marketing at Invoca. But these days, she is currently at home. And the reason that I wanted to have you, Julia, on the program is because you give such an interesting dimension. You know, by day, uh, as you heard me pause, we're, we're normally all at work, but you are on maternity leave and they're at home. So thank you for joining me uh, to the program. I think we're going to have a great conversation. Well, thank you for having me. And yes, I'm definitely on a, doing a different type of work these days. And so I was excited to have the opportunity to kind of dip my toes back into the corporate world and speak to you to share my experiences of what it is like to be on maternity leave and comparing that to my usual day job. I was mentioning to you that I have a sick dog at home, and it's not actually my dog, it's my daughter's dog, and he hurt his foot yesterday. And so just her adjusting her work schedule to work from home for the day to really care for the dog was such a great timing, unfortunate, but great timing as you and I prepare for this podcast because I got to see her go through that schedule. And that's just to watch him for a day. You've made a, a major adjustment, of course, in life two times now, second time with your two and a half year old boy and now a two month old. So one of the questions, Julia, I've asked the other two in the mini series where I want to start is just a very open question. Let's see where it goes. And that is, what is it like to be a woman today in the workplace? My, I'd have to say, it, it's not a glamorous answer, but my gut reaction is it's not bad. <laughs> it's not absolutely amazing. But I think over the past few years, a lot of light has been shed on women's issues in the workplace. So whether it's things like the demands of motherhood and improving um, parental leave and maternity leave, uh, whether it's thing, topics like pay inequality, there's been a lot of focus, especially in the, in the world of SaaS and tech on what women women in the workplace's issues are. And so I think there's a lot of great dialogue, um, challenges that women specifically in these industries may have faced in the past are starting to recede. Um, more open dialogues are happening about these, these things. And I personally am at a point in my career where I'm in a senior enough leadership position where I've really got ownership and authority to help make a difference or make changes within my company or um, amongst my peer set when I feel things aren't great. So not bad might not be the most enthusiastic um, answer, but but I really do think that things are in, in a pretty good place right now, um, being a woman in the workplace. There's still a lot of room for improvement, but but generally speaking, things aren't dire, I would say. So, sounds like it's it's left of bad, but it's not quite where uh, maybe it, it could potentially be. And as you touched on, there's some of those factors about uh, equality in different areas. In the other episodes, uh, there has been some real positive sentiments about uh, being a woman in the workplace. And I'm wondering what for you those have been in your career when you felt like, you know what, this is 
This is a strength of mine being a woman in the workplace, if you've had some of those. I can't think of specific examples where my being a woman specifically has given me the a leg up, if you will, but I think it's helped my personal growth at times where if I'm the only woman in the room or I feel like I'm, I'm paving a path forward that there just haven't been other women ahead of me paving this path. It's, it's really pushed me to grow myself as an individual a little bit more and step outside my comfort zone a little bit more. Uh, and as a result, just continue to expand my skill set or my confidence levels and helped me grow more as an individual. So it's sort of that, that, those lar- that larger impact of sometimes being the only woman in a very senior position um, or at other times in, in my career, um, being the only woman in in certain social settings or, or whatnot that's caused me to have to just kind of step out of my shell a little bit more, push myself a little bit more. And as a result, I've, I've benefited from it, I would say. Do you find in meetings that you're in, executive level meetings, that you feel there's a balance between men and women or are you um, often the minority? I definitely still often a minority, I would say. Thankfully, not typically the only woman in the room, um, but in the industry that uh, I've chosen to work in, in, in tech and in the world of SaaS, usually the senior leadership is still predominantly male. So not, not 50-50, that's for sure. Yeah. And if you, in those situations or in any really work situation, some of the things that have come up, whether it's been on the podcast series or just, you know, being uh, my wife's a working woman and I've certainly worked with countless number of women and I'm raising two daughters with, you know, very career-minded uh, girls, the comment of, I don't always feel my voice is heard. Um, have you ever felt that way? And, and can you shed light on when it has, what, what that means to you? So in my role as VP marketing, I feel like within my company and within my peer set, my voice has always been heard, which is great. And maybe that's just me pushing myself to, um, to be heard and speaking up, even if it doesn't always feel comfortable. But the, the instances where my voice hasn't always felt heard has been more either at the board level or in that's pretty well yeah that's probably pretty much it I'm trying to think of other examples but it's been kind of a combination in my mind of not necessarily because I'm female but because I'm the most junior person in the room so um, that can be it's sort of hitting on three points I'm the youngest person in the room I'm the least experienced person in the room and I'm and I'm also the only woman in the room and so in in situations like that there's work to be done for my voice to be heard, but I don't think it's always just, uh, well, it's because I'm a woman. And so how I kind of compensate, if you will, or how I tackle those types of situations is being as prepared as I can, um, basically putting in the work and doing the research to make sure that my, my sort of quote unquote junior status, if you will, doesn't put me at a disadvantage and doesn't make me feel like uh, I shouldn't speak up and share my thoughts. So things like, as I said, sort of doing the research, asking for help in advance. uh, I remember my first board meeting where, uh, as a VP of marketing at Invoca, where um, I knew I would not only be the only woman on the executive team attending, but there aren't any women on our our board at the moment. And so feeling a little bit daunted by that, but also just sort of my lack of experience. And so reaching out to some of my peers on the exec team and asking for their thoughts on how I should navigate this, what, what they've learned 
from past meetings, things like that, brushing up on as, as much research as I could and just coming really well prepared, basically putting in the work so that when I stepped into that room, I was able to offset as much of the fear, if you will, or uncomfortableness on my own as possible and be more confident in speaking up and kind of pushing myself forward. There's a lot of psychology behind how view, how people view someone as competent. And one of the things that's come up in the science uh, and psychology of it is that a deeper sounding voice is often um, recognized as the human brain as a more confident voice. Uh, and I started my career very early working at Microsoft. I went through some phenomenal training, uh, presentation skills training. And I, I have a feeling that one of the reasons that I'm successful in a boardroom or in a meeting room or even with my team outside of my role as CEO uh, at DemandGen, I'm just reflecting over my careers, has a bit to do with how I make eye contact and how I uh, conduct my presentations. And certainly women can't change their voice, but you know some of the things that have been shared is it's in many ways how you end a sentence. So if you end a sentence kind of going higher in your pitch, it actually may be inferred as the person is unsure or asking a question. So I think, you know, whether it's anyone listening to the podcast, um, not saying necessarily go change how you communicate, but maybe today hearing this podcast, just observe how people communicate in the room and look at the differences between your effective communicators, whether that's men or women, or, um, you know, just people that uh, difference. And it, a lot of it has to do with their tone of voice and how they uh, supplement what they're communicating with either physical gestures. And if, you know, someone sounds unsure of the information that they're sharing, they may be taken uh, less seriously or with less less confidence. But in my experience, because I've worked very early on, I've, I've certainly shared this, my first managers were all women. It's all I ever knew was women leadership very early on in my career. So I, I haven't known gender bias um, in those in those different roles, but I've certainly with my daughters and certainly with my experiences coaching women and, and leading the organization found that that topic comes up a lot about not feeling that their voice is heard or, you know, the idea of, of whatever they're sharing is not the right idea. They're, they're not believed in the first pass. And uh, I don't, it's, it's, I don't know, any, any thoughts on that yourself uh, from what you've experienced, maybe leading a team or just seeing, seeing different people in the room between men and women? I've definitely, so to address the first thing you said, I've read that as well, the the the, inti- how, the impact that intonation has. So if you, like you said, like kind of up speak at the end, it it diminishes the impact of what you're saying or relays less of the sense of authority. Uh, I would agree that I think about women uh, that I've worked with on, on different teams over the years and comparing them to the men on the teams with the same levels of seniority experience, et cetera. Yeah, women, I and I don't like to generalize too much, but it does seem sometimes that they are less confident and less hesitant to speak. And it does seem more common that the men are always the ones to speak up first or more boldly assert their ideas, good or bad. Uh, it makes me think back to how, how I was able to get to a point in meetings and in leadership settings to really feel confident presenting my ideas, sharing presentations, public speaking, and so on. And I think one thing that had a big impact is I went back to grad school in my late 20s. I'd I'd been working already for five or six years in marketing and was in kind of a low to mid-level manager type role. And I went back to school and did a one-year intense MBA program. And it was with 
peers, a requirement was, I think you had to have at least five years work experience and at least one year management experience. So it was, it was, in, it was neat in that it wasn't just kids fresh out of undergrad without any real work experience. And part of the program was every six weeks we would be put in groups and have to do presentations. And I think four out of five times I was always in a group only with men. But for some reason, I was always the one that would give our presentations. <laughs> I'm trying to remember how I always, if I self-selected or if they chose me or, or whatnot. But that was hugely valuable for me. So over the course of the year, probably, you know, 10 to 12 presentations where I just practice makes perfect. Right. And I, I just had to force myself to get up in front of the room and we would record these presentations and I would watch them afterwards, which can be really awkward and painful, you know, seeing your own mannerisms, your own kind of facial tics, or I talk a lot with my hands, or at least I used to <laughs> until I, I, I would watch these recordings of myself and all these presentations that I'd have to do. And it really helped me to improve things like my tone of voice, better understand when I do and don't make eye contact and then just become comfortable with it. Practice really does make perfect. And in situations where you're uncomfortable or, or feel shy, I think just really pushing yourself out of, out of that comfort zone and forcing yourself to do it over and over again is at least that's what helped me. And, and uh, I look, looking back on my career and, and what was sort of the tipping point and when I became more confident and then also more interested in, and happy and excited to do speaking engagements or to give presentations, that part really helped. And so as a result, I've really tried to encourage a lot of the, the more junior women on my teams to pursue public speaking opportunities when, when a speaking opportunity comes up at a conference that's maybe not a keynote, you know, a, a smaller breakout session or when we need a speaker for a webinar, really encouraging a lot of women on my team to raise their hands and do it even if their initial reaction is, oh God, no, I don't want to do that. Encouraging them to do it because the more you do it, the more confident and comfortable you get, the better you get. And then it also helps open up your career opportunities as you, you raise your own profile and get yourself out there more. Yeah, for sure. Great, great advice. A skill all of us can always continue to, to hone and get better at. Uh, since you are at home and we are on borrowed time, I'm sure, until your son wakes up uh, and needs you, I would love to ask a question about, you know, the challenges that you face in your career. You know, you knew at some point, I imagine you knew that you would one day want to be a mother. And again, congratulations, uh, even though it's a couple months ago, uh, congratulations on motherhood. And you you know, wanted to have this great career, but you also wanted to be a mother. And how did you, how did you plan and prepare for that? Because it's, it's something I can't understand at all as a man, I must say. I have no idea how you start a career and launch a career and work down a path and then have this thought that one day you're going to get pregnant and you're going to go through that period of time. And then, you know, you make a decision about, how you would be as a stay-at-home parent. Um, so I'd love to get your perspective. Mm -hmm. I think it all boils down to a question of timing for me. So from day one in my career, uh, I had strong role models. I think back to my first kind of real job, it was a smallish company. Well, actually, no, small, 20 to 40 people. I don't remember exactly. Anyway, the woman was a CEO. Um, her husband was the president, but she, she, ran stuff. <laughs> she, she ran the business and she had a young son. I forget exactly how old, but I remember him as a baby being in the office. And so for that to be my first career role, and I was at that company for four or five years and she ended up mentoring me a little bit, but it was just this wonderful initial role model right out of the gate of, 
hey, it's it's just normal to have a career and have a, have a child and be able to balance it. So I didn't question it at that young age. Um, this would have been when I was in my early 20s. And then a little bit later on, actually, when I was at Invoca, uh, our, my, my first boss there had two young children himself, two young girls. I, I think they were one and three when he first started. And he had, he has um, uh, a wife who has just as a demanding, just as demanding a career as he does. And he was pretty open and transparent about how he would balance childcare responsibilities or if the kids were sick and his wife was traveling, how he would take, take the time to look after his kids or whatever, bring them to the office when needed. And so it was, it was another kind of affirmation that, Hey, it's totally normal for women to have successful careers and have young children and have supportive partners who basically helped make it all possible. And so I didn't really have, uh, it wasn't a question for me of how will I do it? It was more of when am I going to be ready to do this? If I think about my career arc, I think you can't uncouple your career from your personal life, right? And so um, waiting to find the right partner uh, who, I, who I married, my husband, who I knew had the same set of goals for life for starting a family, but was also driven career-wise and who would support me equally and I in turn would support him equally was important. And when I found him and we got married, uh, it was around the time that my career was starting to pick up a little bit more. And I, I wasn't hungry for more. I had a new marriage. My career was, was taking off and I was happy and fulfilled. And I thought one day I would want to have kids, but not then. And it wasn't something lingering in the back of my mind of like, oh, do I need to make a sacrifice and have kids now? It was more like, nope, I'm going to wait until I'm ready for another challenge. Because <laughs> let's be honest, having kids is probably the biggest challenge that you'll, you'll kind of tackle, I think, oh, in yeah. life, at least for me so far, you know. And so then a few more years down the road, marriage was good. We kind of had that foundation career was going well, I was happy. And I felt now I'm ready to take on something new. And it doesn't need to be something new career wise, I'm ready to take on the challenge of motherhood. And so that's kind of how I timed everything and, and just waited until it felt right, rather than feeling like I have this checklist of everything I want to accomplish in my life. And I have deadlines for when I want to do them all. It, it just kind of luckily for me, I met someone within that window of of time where I'm not too old to be able to have a marriage, wait a few years, have kids. You know, I met my husband, I forget, 29, I think. Um, we got married when I was in my early 30s, had my first son at 34. So for me, timing's kind of lined up nicely. And that's just kind of how it worked out for me. But it wasn't, I didn't feel a pressure of, I have to do this all at once. Um, I've always kind of taken the approach of, what do I need in my life right now to feel fulfilled and feel happy what seeds do I need to plant now to feel fulfilled and happy down the road? And then just focusing on those things and not getting too overwhelmed by feeling like, oh, and I need to do all these other things that everybody else is doing at this age. You said something that I wanted to come back to. You said your career, um, you had gotten to a certain point and you weren't necessarily looking to advance it anymore at that time. You, you, you said it a little differently, but it sounded like you weren't really trying to charge forward and get the next promotion or the next set of responsibility. Did I hear that right? Exactly. Yeah. For me, boredom is, is a word that comes to mind. Um, first of all, if you're asking me how I'm feeling at home right now, <laughs> bored, a little bit bored on my mind. But if I think about the stage where I was at it and my career, I was in a role that I loved, that I felt I was good at, that I felt I could still improve a little bit and still continue to grow. But uh, wasn't overwhelmed or feeling like 
wow, I have, I have a lot to learn and a long ways to go before I feel like I'm really kind of crushing it at work. I was just in a really good place, but I wasn't bored. I wasn't at the point where I felt I'd kind of hit the, the ceiling of that role and was ready to climb up to the next level. So it felt kind of like a good, happy spot. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason I came back to it was, I'm sure people listening to this program simply because they listen to read books or, or read, listen to programs like this to get educated and advance their knowledge. They're driven. Everybody's probably listening to this is, is driven. And yet I would say it's only my perspective. I never really ever paused in my career. I never said, okay, I'm comfortable right at this spot. I kept advancing, advancing, advancing and wanted to take on more responsibility and grow. And it's really how I'm, I'm personally wired. It would be very difficult for me if I was a female to time the point in my career when having a kid would fit in, you know, to that. And so I would really struggle with that on a, on a personal level. So I wanted to really understand that. And I was going to ask you then, uh, and I do want to talk about how things are at home these days next, uh, what, uh, what advice would you give to younger women in their career? I had a great conversation with a colleague of mine, Corinne, maybe she's listening at uh, a recent event one of the uh, Arizona conferences, the B2BMX. And she was talking to me privately and said, you know, if I, if I gave advice to someone else, I would have had children earlier on my career. I wouldn't have, you know, driven myself so hard and thought about doing that later in life. That was the advice she had. Since you got married and then had kids relatively shortly after that, what's your perspective on when in your career, quote, is the right time or optimal time to have kids earlier or later? I think it's such a personal personal choice and requires a lot of personal reflection actually to, to kind of figure out what will make you as an individual happy. I, I've spoken to many women that from a young age have just wanted kids. They just know innately, I want to be a mom. This is something that's really important to me. I wasn't really that person. I thought from a young age, oh, you know, sounds not bad, but I'm not sure that I really, really want it. And so for me, I, I'm, I'm very driven career wise. And I knew right from the get go that I really wanted to grow my career and push myself and continue to achieve things right from the start. And so that's what I prioritized in my twenties. That's what made me happiest. I, I, that's always a guiding light, guiding light for me. My goal in life is to be happy. And I always think, okay, what's going to make me happiest and most fulfilled. And so through my twenties, it was, it was that it was pushing myself, continuing my education, growing my career. And then when I felt that I'd gotten to a good, good place, you know, pausing and self-reflecting again and thinking, okay, uh, I do think children will make me really happy and help fulfill me long-term in life. So now I'm ready to, to approach that. And that was sort of my phase two, if you will. Whereas, as I mentioned, women who right from the get-go say they've always wanted children, they really want children. I, I would probably say, why not prioritize that right out of the gate? If it's something that you know you really want and it's going to make you happy and you have the, the support system, if you will, to, to make that possible for you, whether it's you found the right partner or you are excited to tackle it on your own but have the right support systems in place because it's really hard. You know, it's not something I think you want to dive into head first on your own. Um, then I would say go ahead and do that. You do have the rest of your life, quote unquote, to pursue your career as well. Yeah, good, good advice. And I guess it, it depends. Uh, you mentioned it. So let's, let's dig into that because you, you're at home these days. How, how is it? How are you feeling these days at home? 
I, it's tough. Um, I am simultaneously really bored, but also really exhausted and not exhausted from a sleep deprivation standpoint. I, I must say, uh, with my second, everything just feels so much easier. I know how babies work. <laughs> I know what to do. I know what not to do. Most importantly, I know what not to stress out about. Um, but I'm mentally tired because my days are broken into these little 30 minute increments of feed a baby, change a baby, uh, sing songs to a baby, put the baby down for a nap. And there's no time for me to really exercise my, my brain. And so I, while the work is really demanding, uh, I find it exhausting because I'm not using the part of my brain that I find most interesting and exciting. And so I'm really looking forward to going back to work uh, and taking four months this time around. So I've got another six weeks or so to go before I'm back at work full time. And I'm looking forward to it in a much different way than I did with my first maternity leave. Uh, I think because I feel much more confident at home. I know, as I said, what to do with my baby. I've, I've developed a great rhythm with my two and a half year old. I feel like I'm doing a good job parenting basically. And so I'm anxious to get back to that really important part of who I am, which is my career. I love, I love the work that I do. I really enjoy the interactions with everybody that I work with. And so I'm really hungry to get back to that and make myself whole again, if you will, because I don't feel like my complete self if I'm not pursuing my career, which is what brings me a lot of joy. Family brings me joy as well. My boys bring me a lot of happiness, but um, they're a piece of the what makes Julia happy pie, if you will. Yeah. The um, the feeling that you have being bored and also being exhausted, which it's interesting that you feel more exhausted and, and you're you know using your brain in very different ways, not the challenges of, of work. One of the things that I felt, Julia, that I would personally struggle with if I was to go out on maternity leave or paternity leave in, in my case is feeling out of the game. I know when I go on vacation, just to be very transparent, the first day and a half of on going on vacation, which is why I tr try to typically go for a, a week or more, is I'm just even adjusting. I'm trying to get myself off email and I'm trying to... Uh, adjust to the new normal, which is vacation. In fact, one of the things, a uh, tip I'd share with anybody is put your out-of-office message on early because one of the reasons that I still dig in email on the first day is because I feel that if I turn on my out-of-office message, let's say at a 5 p.m. on a Friday, and then you know there's communication coming in uh, that day that I didn't get to, they don't know I was on vacation. But you know, shifting to you, how do you... Um, how do you feel like being out of the meetings, being out of the office, out of the projects that that's going on? Because I, I think I would really, really struggle with, with being out of the environment for especially four months, let alone it's difficult for me after a couple of weeks. And yet when I do it, I'm so recharged. You're not, you're not recharged right now. It's exhausting. <laughs> so what do you think? Yeah. No, that's a great question. I find it very frustrating to be completely frank. Uh, if they, comparing, again, my first maternity leave to my second with my first, I wasn't at an executive level position. I found it easier to just mentally check out. I mean, I, I was still running a team at that point, and I was in a, in a director level role, but it was easier for me to just kind of check out because I, my boss above me was going to basically run, run, run the show while I was gone, so I didn't have any concerns about that, and it was also my first child, so I was running around like a sleep-deprived chicken with my head cut off you know, my, my brain was not functioning quite well. And I was so overwhelmed with figuring out how to be a parent that I didn't have any extra space uh, 
to really worry about work. This time around, I think the biggest factor is I'm in a different role. Um, and being at that executive level and not just being focused on what the marketing team is doing, but the company as a whole and the success of the company as a whole is a lot more important to me and engaging to me. So it's been very frustrating being out of the loop on that. And then after that first month of kind of newborn baby haze, after I kind of emerged from that, I, my brain kind of perked up again and, and I was ready to dive back in and stay in touch. And so it's been a frustrating balance for me this time around where I have started to um, follow threads on Slack and keep up with my email. I'm not working, but I'm just sort of keeping tabs on things because I want to know how things are going. I am interested and I've joined a few executive level meetings. I kind of joke that I'm just auditing them because I don't have anything to contribute because I'm out of the loop. And if I'm being honest, I don't have time to prepare for these meetings. Like I'm not working, right? And I have to set the expectation that I'm not. But I still like knowing what's going on and being able to think through some of these bigger topics while I'm breastfeeding or while I'm trying to get my baby to nap um, so that when I do go back, I'm a little bit more prepared to hit the ground running. There is another interesting angle, too, that I've, that I've found this time around, which is I think I'm an asset I think I'm going to be an asset to the company when I return because it's almost like I'm taking a sabbatical and, and will come back to the company with a very fresh, fresh eyes and fresh perspective. I'm not caught up in the day-to-day challenges and successes and questions that most of my peers are thinking about literally every day, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've had the benefit of being able to step, step back, completely clear my mind of work, and then start to re-engage, but with fresh eyes and really hear what people are saying and the challenges that now sort of seem like, Oh, I'm seeing this pattern emerge of we're still talking about this or, Oh, we keep doing really well at that. It's, it's giving me the chance to really see the, the forest through the trees. And so I'm excited to, to go back in, in a little more than a month and apply this fresh perspective to what I do and to what uh, the company does. It's, it is fascinating to me. I, I, I guess the question around that would be is, do you feel, as you've seen, now that you're reconnected a little bit and just observing, you're, you're flying on, fly on the wall, that had you been in the office, that things would be materially different in a project, something that maybe went wrong wouldn't have gone wrong, or something that they're working on would have had added value from you being there? How are you feeling about those type of things that you're observing with your not, not working at this time? I think things are going really well. I put a lot of the, the last month before I went on leave, I, I spent probably 70 to 80% of my time planning and organizing and putting the right systems and guideposts, if you will, in place with the senior members of my team to really make sure that the ship could run on its own for three months well. After that, it, I think I find it hard to, to really effectively plan much more than three months out in a business. Things change some things can go better than expected or worse than expected. We need to course correct. But so, so I feel like things were in a really good place when I stepped out. And as a result, the, the marketing team has continued to do wonderful things while I'm gone. So uh, yeah, I feel good about that. I was going to say, I think it's a really important lesson for us all to learn, especially men on the podcast, to think about you spent a month preparing for your exit and getting the team ready to move forward and work effectively without you being there. Are we all doing that every day? Are we building our teams and coaching our teams and transferring knowledge 
to build the skill set and capabilities of the organization, even if we're there, right? Whatever you had to do, because you had a date coming, you had a time frame coming that you would be out. So you consciously got your team in a, in a place to be able to thrive with you not being there. We should all be doing that really every day of the week. Um, because whatever, whatever you went through is not necessarily an unnatural act, right? But it was a very conscious, thoughtful, intentional uh, approach. And there are benefits to it too. Yeah, I just want to continue on that point for a little bit. There are benefits to it because it's, it's forced people on my team to step up a little bit. And, and I'll see when I get back who's, who's risen to the occasion um, and who hasn't. I, I believe everybody will, <laughs> not just you know, freak people out on my team. Um, but it, by giving them a little bit more responsibility, it does kind of prod them to step up into bigger roles. And there's that old piece of advice of you want to make yourself replaceable to company so that you can then step into that next higher role. And so by helping my team level up in my absence, it also means that when I return, I don't necessarily need to return and do the same old things that I was doing before because some people on my team are able to tackle some of those things that I used to have to do. And so it's opening the kind of the sky's the limit up a little bit more for me to take on even bigger, meatier things at an even higher, more strategic level because the team below me has has had to level up a little bit over the past few months. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, husbands and then let's talk about uh, your sons for, for a minute. Uh, on the husband side, I just had the unique experience. You could probably relate. Uh, one of the guys on my team uh, was out for a week. We had a, basically a, a, a number of meetings between marketing operations, sales operations this past week, and he was out for several days. It was the longest trip, Julia, I believe that he's ever had away from his wife since he's been working, since they have had kids, and they now have two children. So when he was looking at his flight schedule, and he's like, oh, my flight out of San Francisco is on uh, 7.30 Friday morning. He goes, but I cannot miss that. I mean, my wife will kill me if I miss that flight. Uh, and she made it very clear. Can, can you relate to that? Uh, I guess your, your husband's overseas right now and been away, and you're holding down the fort. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think becoming a parent has made me so much more empathetic for all of the different personal challenges and requirements that, that your peers and your employees may have. And I think I mentioned in the beginning, my husband has, has a demanding career as, as I do. We're very, we're, we work in the same industry. Uh, we both have travel demands on our time. And so we've had to do a lot of divide and conquer where we agree a, we won't travel more than a certain amount of time, you know, each each month or each quarter, and making sure that if one person's away, the other person is home to to hold down the fort and so on. Um, and it's really hard. And there's no way I could balance to to my level of happiness, my career and motherhood the way I do without without the husband that I have. And and you know, yay, he's amazing, and I love him, and I'm very grateful for that. But it's also a conscious decision that I made when choosing a partner of, hey, I think I'm going to want to have kids down the road. Is this person going to co-parent with me every step of the way? Or am I going to get to a point where it all kind of default falls on me um, as the woman and as the mom? And so I chose, I chose a partner who I knew uh, was very quality-minded and career-minded and would want to go kind of toe-to-toe with me every step of the way and share everything equally. But it's hard. It's hard for both of us. Yeah. It's, it's it is um, parenting is uh, certainly the most, most challenging role ever, uh, and it never gets it never really gets 
easier. It just gets different uh, as your kids get get older. The challenges are different, but the challenges in many ways are are bigger than what they were when they're young. You know, at this point, you want to make sure that he's sleeping, and that he's he's fed, and that he's going to the bathroom, and that he doesn't have you know any illnesses <laughs> that you can prevent. You know. Um, Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for husbands um, at any stage, whether it's preparing for maternity leave while you're out on maternity leave or adjusting back to the office? What would you say to us husbands on how we can be a better support system? That's a great question. Um, a couple of thoughts run through my mind. I'm just thinking, you know, what, what sticks out the most. I think there's been a decent amount of writing lately about the mental load that, that women and mothers carry. So, Yes, let's say both the men and the woman go to work nine to five or eight to six or whatever. Um, but when they come home, it's often the the women and the moms that are doing all the mental work of scheduling the children's appointments and thinking through the grocery list to pack their lunches for the week and thinking through all their activities and ordering more diapers in my case or buying bigger shoes. And, and these things really add up. And that's like a part-time job in itself. And I think it's not necessarily top of mind for, for husbands or, or dads to always be thinking through that kind of stuff. And so putting, putting yourself in the shoes of your, your wife or your partner and really thinking through what are all the things that they are doing to help care for our children. And am I doing my share of that stuff? Not just the actual picking up the kids or giving them a bath, but that whole other side of like the administrative work of parenting, I guess, if you will and sharing that kind of burden. And I think a good, a good starting point is probably just asking, you know, what are all the things that you feel you're doing to help parents? And are there some things that we could maybe be dividing up more equally? Uh, is a good starting point there. Yeah, and if you ask the question, be, be ready to take those responsibilities on. My, my wife has learned that lists work very, very well. And so that it's not mm-hmm. just a conversation and, and top of mind stuff that if she's got some things that she wanted my help with, uh, it made it to a list and, and we worked through it and, uh, it's great, great accountability there and, and a very way to get specific, uh, and, and make those responsibilities ongoing, the ones that should. Can I chime in? There's one yeah. other example that came to mind, uh, early on. So with my, with my first, my husband actually took some leave. He took a, a full month after I'd gone back to work, which was really great for many reasons, but it was very empowering for him to also see what the day-to-day life was like to be at home with a child all day long. At this point, our, our son was five or six months old and at, a, at an age where it was a little bit more feasible than, say, if he was a newborn. But it, it helps give my husband the real perspective on what it's like to be on maternity leave and look after your child 24-7. And so I think that was really valuable. And the other thing that we made a point of doing early on with our first son and you bet I'm going to take advantage of this when my husband gets back from Australia and ask him to do it again is I traveled and left him alone for a weekend um, and then business trips with our son. And I'm going to do it again with both our kids, not necessarily for an extended period of time, but just to show him what it's like. But then also when you're, when you're thrown headfirst into a situation like that, and it can be daunting, you know, how do I look after two young humans all by myself for a day or two, you gain confidence to be able to do it uh, in the future, right? And I think that's important for for dads and husbands to be able to just, it's almost like just dive in and do it. And then you realize it's not so bad and you understand how, how your your wife or partner and how the mother does it. And it gives you a sense of empowerment and confidence that like, hey, yeah, you can do this too. This isn't just something that moms can do. I totally got this as well. It doesn't make it easier, but 
I think it makes it easier to, to equally co-parent as well. Oh, for sure. One of the things I used to do a lot when my girls were younger is I would take them out on the weekends and we would go, we did a lot of different activities, you know, often started on Saturday mornings, we'd go garage selling, we called it. So we would just go out and I would give them, you know, a couple dollars and we would go to garage sales, maybe go to three or four of them. And it really was just to go out and spend daddy-daughter time. But one of the other benefits that came from it was the hours that my wife had at home, which is free time, you know, to get stuff done around the house and not try, as you said, to balance all those, uh, juggle all the balls that are that are going on and just really have some downtime and quiet time uh, in the house. So it's it was not only really rewarding for me and built up long-term, just wonderful memories uh, on the weekends with my girls and even during the week at nights. Um, so yeah, lean in, get involved. And, and for the moms out there that, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta trust us if, if we've earned it, uh, mm-hmm. and to take care of the kids and, and give you guys back some time, but also develop those relationships and, um, and, and learn just how challenging this, not only that, this, the physical challenge, I mean, we're putting the kids in the car seats and loading the car seats in mm-hmm. and getting to a store and like, you know, you were running in for a quick thing, like a battery for your watch and it's like so much to take everything out of the car go into the car get a watch battery and then yeah. load everything up again it becomes a huge production yeah, yeah it is it's really it's crazy um, I want to wrap up yeah. with uh, advice and coaching that you're going to give your son so you've been blessed with having two boys and the whole theme of this podcast series is really understanding women in the workplace uh, and, and why the Women in Revenue org uh, came to be what are you going to teach or advise your sons directly or maybe even indirectly about working with women in their careers? I think the best thing that I can do is be really transparent and lead by example. So I think already my sons will benefit from seeing that mommy goes on business trips just the way daddy does. And mommy leaves for work in the morning at this set time and, you know, does her, her work thing. And I'll definitely bring them into the office. Just last week we had our family day at Invoca and it was great. I brought, uh, my eldest in, and obviously he's a little young to to really understand what I do, but already he knows that mommy goes to work and and um, and she's gone for periods of time, and that's okay, and it's normal, and she does it just like Daddy does. So continuing to really be transparent with my sons and and just show them by example that this is what women do, and introduce them to as many varieties of of working women, I guess that I know, so that they can see this is this is what mommy does, but it's not what all women do. This is you know, um, looking at my sisters-in-law or aunts and uncles and, and really showing them a, a broad array of what being a, a working mother and a woman in the workplace really means. That's great. I, I uh, would love to keep in touch and, and just hear how the journey continues. Thank you for taking time out of your day uh, and, and juggling a new, a new ball in the mix uh, to share these thoughts. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. I hope everyone on the podcast has enjoyed uh, this little mini-series. You know, I hope that you all take time, whether it's men or women, and just think about how much we either have in common or just how we can be better teammates to one another. I know that I have had uh, just tremendous women leadership in my uh, career, but I'm also surrounded by women in the workplace who make me a better leader and, and bring out the best in me and are great support systems and are great leaders uh, in my organization, in their organization. It's so nice to see so many women leaders uh, in the field of marketing. It's a wonderful part of industry for women to really thrive and, and succeed. Um, if you guys didn't listen to the other episodes, again, go back and do it. 
Uh, Julia, as I said, is one of the co-founders of Women in Revenue. Uh, it's womeninrevenue.org. And Julia, I don't know if you have the updated stats because you've been out, but you guys have hundreds of members now clearly indicating that there's a, a need for a support system for women out there who want other peers and mentors uh, to work together. So thank you for, for co-founding the organization. And uh, Have you stayed involved while you've been out with the, the Orgadol? I have, yeah, as, as much as I can. I'm really excited about the research that we published last month. It's a great starting point, I think, for, for men and women who are curious on how do women really feel about being in the workplace right now? And, and what are some of the topics that are most important and, and what can we all do to help? And then we also have a mentorship program that I highly encourage everyone to check out. If you go to womeninrevenue.org and check out the mentorship program, if you're looking for a mentor, if you want to be a mentor, all kinds of great opportunities for people to connect. Very cool. Well, uh, is, it, is it feeding time soon? It is. It's two minutes to feeding time. Two minutes to <laughs> feeding time. I've got it down time. to a uh, science. Yep. I know when he's going to cry. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to let you go, Julia, and that's going to do it for all of us on this episode of Demand Gen Radio. We will catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.